Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Some advice I would have is to think about what are your challenges with mobility currently? You know, if you're using a cane or other mobility aid, what sorts of challenges are you experiencing? And just kind of making a list of that and then looking just from a mobility context at the moment, can a guide dog solve those challenges? And that's the question we'll be dealing with in today's episode. Is a guide dog right for you? What are the pros and cons? We'll speak with Jake Cook from Guide Dogs for the Blind about what some of the major issues are and what some of the services are offered by Guide Dogs for the Blind. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Jake Cook. So uh, my tip of the week is to think about what mobility option works best for you, ask good questions, and uh, always be open-minded. And hopefully the rest of this episode will answer many of your questions, but at the end we'll be giving contact information for anybody who has additional questions. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by the Hadley Institute for the Blind and Visually Impaired, offering the 2021 New Venture Business Competition to help blind entrepreneurs turn their ideas into actual startups. More information and submission criteria are at www.hadley.edu nvc. And by... NaviLens, a four-color QR code designed to be located and read from up to 60 feet away without the need to focus on it. Now, using augmented reality, NaviLens 360 Vision locates the NaviLens codes in a 3D space available for iPhone and soon for Android. More at navilens.com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Jake and learning about his role at Guide Dogs for the Blind. Hello, my name is Jake Cook. I'm a community outreach specialist with Guide Dogs for the Blind. And I'm here with my guide dog, Forley. And you've had a number of guide dogs. Were they all trained at Guide Dogs for the Blind? It's a great question. Uh, I have had uh, three guide dogs, two of which have been trained at Guide Dogs for the Blind. And my first came from an organization called The Seeing Eye based in Morristown, New Jersey. But you're in California. So I'm speaking to you today from Guide Dogs for the Blind's Oregon campus based in a town called Boring, about 20 miles east of Portland, Great Northwest. And our headquarters are located in San Rafael, California, about 20 minutes north of San Francisco. And how long have you been working there? Uh, I've been with Guide Dogs for the Blind for eight and a half years. That has to be a lot of fun. You see a lot of people from around very different places around the country and around the world, probably. I do indeed. You know, um, my job focuses a lot on the people side of the harness. So helping individuals make an informed choice about guide dog mobility and between my community outreach work and getting to interact with our clients and graduates, puppy raisers, volunteers, uh, co-workers, donors, et cetera, 
you really do get to meet a lot of people. You get to hear a lot of perspectives and there's just a lot of diversity and variety amongst the people that we serve and that are a part of this community. And it's a great service that you guys offer. Thank you. We like to, to say so um, too. We, we offer a, a wide variety of services um, to support an individual, both while they're considering a guide dog and then after they have received their guide dog. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the differences in mobility between using a white cane and a guide dog, as well as the services provided by guide dogs for the blind. I thought we'd start off today, Jake, by telling people a little bit about the Guide Dogs for the Blind organization, how long it's been around, maybe give us a brief history, then we can talk about some of the services that you provide and who may want a guide dog or not. Absolutely. Guide Dogs for the Blind was started in 1942 in Las Gatos, California. Uh, We were the first school on the West Coast to be established, and the initial mission of our founders was to support um, veterans uh, returning from World War II who had been blinded in combat. At the time, there weren't a lot of resources available to people who were blind or visually impaired. There were a couple other guide dog schools in operation at the time, um, but also in its infancy was national transportation. So getting from one end to the other of this great nation was was pretty difficult. And there was a a definite need on the West Coast to serve um, people who are blind or visually impaired. At this point, you've expanded your services well beyond just blinded veterans. That's correct. We quickly saw the need for um, supporting um, civilians who are blind or visually impaired. Um, So in 1947, we moved to our present day headquarters in San Rafael, California. In 1995, we opened our campus in Boring, Oregon. So now we serve both civilians and veterans alike. We serve clients in all the 50 states and Canada. We have about 2,200 active guide dog teams in the field. And a guide dog team is a person who's blind or visually impaired and a guide dog. And how many people do you match with dogs every year approximately? So um, in pre-COVID times, we match uh, about 300 um, people with guide dogs. We're the largest school in North America. During the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, things have had to shift a little bit to comply with um, all of the health and safety guidelines. Um, So we're hoping to uh, return to normal as quickly as possible as we move through this sort of unknown thing we're calling uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So I assume that trying to comply with the new health and safety guidelines limited the number of new matches that you could create, but yet many of these puppies were born a year or two ago. They're going through their training. They're ready to graduate and get a forever person. What are you doing with the extra dogs? That's an excellent question. And and certainly in April of 2020, when the shelter in place mandates went into effect, everything stopped. I mean, our entire world stopped and guide dogs for the blind and and the other guide dog schools in, in the field were no exception. So we did pause uh, breeding for a few months and then started to slowly um, reintroduce that. Because the thing about breeding is it's a two-year delay. So if you stop completely, 
it takes about two years to raise and train a guide dog. So you're going to have a little bit of a delayed effect. So we didn't want to stop entirely until, say, the pandemic ended. Uh, but also, you're right. We, we had dogs that were ready to go. Uh, we're in various stages of training. So um, we are issuing those dogs at a little bit of a slower rate right now to comply with the guidelines and less people in class, for example, and providing more in-home training. So bringing the dogs to people. And then the dogs are graduating at a, a slightly older age. Typically, a dog would graduate from the program and be matched with a person uh, at about 20 to 23 months of age. Um, and the average right now is uh, closer to um, about 30 months of age, which might seem like a drawback, but actually it's an advantage because um, with a little older dog, it's uh, kind of like a teenager growing up, you know, when you see them at 17 versus when they go off to college for the first couple of years, you know, there's a lot of growing up that happens. And so I think there's a little bit of a value there in having a dog that's um, going out in the field at a little older age. And not to say that a young dog can't perform just as well, but the transition is a little less work. So and there's a benefit to that, even though the dogs are older. Getting a guide dog is a big transition. And many people think about is a dog the right option for me? Should I use a cane or some other way of getting around? What can you tell people about making that decision and what can help them make the decision? Yeah, Pete, that's a great, great point. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about the work that I do at Guide Dogs for the Blind is because when I was 18, 19 years old, I was asking the same question and I was just desperate to try to come up with a solution to my challenge of what is the best mobility aid for me. So I'm really passionate about helping people make this um, potentially life-changing decision. And so, you know, some advice I would have is to think about what are your challenges with mobility currently? You know, if you're using a cane or other mobility aid, what sorts of challenges are you experiencing? And just kind of making a list of that and then looking just from a mobility context at the moment, what, you know, can a guide dog solve those challenges? So reaching out to a guide dog school and speaking um, to them individually about your needs and your um, challenges, um, you know, things that you're hoping to achieve. What are your mobility goals? speak to other guide dog handlers and find out what their experiences have been, I think is another good thing. Um, and then there's the social component. Is is a guide dog right for you? Um, you know, dogs, we all love dogs, especially Labradors and Golden Retrievers and the Labrador Golden Retriever crossbreed, which are the three breeds we use here at Guide Dogs for the Blind. People love those dogs. Um, so how do you feel about having a little extra attention? you know, by your side all the time, because people, people love dogs, they're going to ask you some, some neat questions. So that's where I would recommend people start is just kind of looking at their lifestyle. Uh, I like to call it being a professional pedestrian. So do you enjoy walking? Do you enjoy getting out and about? And do you want to do more of that? Do you want to do the same amount of that? Um, you know, if you don't enjoy walking, if you prefer to just say be driven everywhere, point to point, um, maybe a guide dog isn't quite the right fit. But certainly if, if you want to be independent and you enjoy getting out there and taking public transit, walking, um, taxis, sort of all the above, and, and you enjoy that type of a lifestyle, you know, guide dog could be a really good fit. From your experience, by the time people connect with your organization, is this something that they've pretty firmly decided or do they still come to you with questions and it's not 
absolutely certain that they will get a guide dog. You know, people come to us um, from all walks of life and it all sort of points in their, you know, vision loss journey. I've spoken to people who lost their eyesight a week ago from an accident and are wondering if a guide dog is right for them. And I've spoken to people who, you know, they've thought about this for a long time and they're ready to move forward. And what is the next step they need to take? And so, you know, at Guide Dogs for the Blind, we like to have an on-ramp to our programs and the outreach department is tasked with that, is tasked with, you know, creating a path forward for folks that are interested in a guide dog and really helping them make that informed choice about what's going to be right for them individually. So, so yeah, we get people from all walks of life that um, have questions about this and, you know, we're, we're always keeping the dialogue going and we're doing that in a variety of ways to help people make that all important choice, you know, whether they choose to use a guide dog or whether they choose to use a white cane. Um, we just want to make sure that they're getting the best information to make that decision. We've spoken to people at other guide dog schools who require that before somebody come in to get paired with a guide dog, they develop pretty good white cane independent mobility skills. Do you? Yes. So our, our application criteria are as follows. There are three of them. Uh, legal blindness, uh, previous orientation and mobility training, and three established what we call destination routes, places that a person's going to outside the home. So that could be like work and the grocery store and the mailbox. Um, two out of those three could be purposeful. Although if your mailbox is, you know, a notable amount of walking, let's say it's a, you live in the countryside and you walk down, you know, you walk half a mile down a, a driveway. <laughs> um, we have people that live on farms and such, um, you know, technically that could potentially be a destination if you've got something to do there, like picking up the mail. But certainly the grocery store, a workplace, a favorite coffee shop, a friend's house, um, you know, maybe a business traveler. So maybe a hotel or an airport is technically a destination. Anything really counts as long as there's what we consider notable amount of walking. And that's around a half mile round trip, or put another way, six to eight city blocks of travel. So you said you had this long discussion with yourself about whether to start using a guide dog when you turned 18. I gather you had a lot of experience as a cane user before that. Mm -hmm. What, from your experience and from what the guide dog school teaches, would you say are the major differences between independent mobility with a cane versus with a dog? And I'm really glad you asked that question. So there are some key differences. Um, the really simple way to explain the differences are a white cane is an object locator and a guide dog is an object avoider. So both mobility aids are approaching the task of safe and independent travel from two different perspectives, but they're both equal. Um, they're just doing it from two different directions. So what I mean by that is when you're walking with a white cane, and you're using that cane, you're previewing the environment in front of you and you're making a decision based on the tactile information, i.e. the information you're getting through that cane tip. And you're making a decision about what to do with that information. Do I stop? Do I turn around? Um, have I reached the curb, uh, et cetera. With a guide dog, it's a partnership. So the dog is tasked with leading you in a straight line, avoiding obstacles, like a pole or a garbage can, for example, 
and stopping in all changes in elevation, curbs, stairs, the head of a ramp even, et cetera. And then it's up to you as the guide dog handler to direct the dog forward, left, and right. So you still have to know where you're going, but the dog is taking on some of that initiative in helping you get through the environment from point A to point B. That's a great description. I'm a cane user, and I'm pretty comfortable doing that. But, you know, as you say, a cane is a locator. I always feel funny that in order to get someplace, I have to hit everything in the process. If I go through a crowd, I'm always tapping people's ankles to find out where the people are. That's kind of weird somehow. (laughs) (laughs) With a dog, they would just walk around all those obstacles. That's correct. Or in, in, in a case of a crowded environment scenario, the dog, the dog might actually stop. And a big part of our two-week training program is teaching somebody how to interpret what their dog is telling them because um, dogs don't speak English and we don't speak dogs. So we have to find a way to communicate. And part of that is um, interpreting, why did my dog stop? Why did my dog veer slightly offline and then come back? And you're right, when you're using a cane, you're, you are responsible for interpreting all of that information. And, and you're, you know, you're previewing the environment and making a decision on what you're finding out there at the end of the cane. So you're on your third guide dog. When you switched from dog one to dog two to dog three, did you get to do some kind of fine-tuning training to get the second dog to react the same way as the first? Or was the training the other direction where the dog was teaching you to react to what he or she did? So when you train with a guide dog um, and you're in, say, a two-week training program like we offer at Guide Dogs for the Blind, uh, a big part of that is, is getting to know the dog individually. So the dogs come fully trained. They know exactly what they need to do. And chances are, you have a pretty good idea of what you need to do. And it's just a matter of, you know, connecting you and your dog together. Each dog is going to perceive the world in a different way, slightly. Um, Training standards get updated, just like, you know, any other service or perhaps product, right? Things might change. You know, the, the 2019 edition might be different from the 2029 edition, for example. So the dogs are going to perceive things in different ways. The schools are constantly looking for better ways to train the dogs and the clients together. And so each dog is going to be a little bit different, but there's a lot of reoccurring themes. I mean, the the commands typically are the same, um, what we call turn mechanics. So that's how you're interacting with your dog in space, turning left, turning right, moving together. Um, The equipment itself typically is, is relatively standardized. And so it's a partnership and it's a little bit of both. You are learning how to work with a new dog. And then the dog is also learning, you know, you. We talked a lot about how a person might decide whether to use a dog or a cane and what considerations go into that. But then you go through a fair amount of work to match the proper dog and the dog's personality with the person and the kind of environment they'll be in. That's correct. A lot of work that goes in on both sides of the harness. So an individual who's blind, you know, is developing those independent living and travel skills. You know, they've gone through vision loss, whether you're congenitally blind or you lost your eyesight yesterday. We all go through vision loss and and the challenges that come along with that. And and I want to always highlight the fact that there's a lot of work involved to be independent as a person who's blind or visually impaired. So, So certainly, you know, all of that's being done And then on the dog side, of course, we're training the dogs and we're matching them 
Um, and the way we do that is we look at a person's lifestyle. We um, have an extensive um, admissions process, one application, two interviews, and three professional reference forms. Uh, and then we're also looking at the dogs and we're taking extensive notes on each dog's strengths, what kind of environment each dog tends to thrive in. And we take all that information and we put it together and we start making matches. And part of it is, you know, scientific in the sense of, you know, you've got facts here. This person likes, uh, lives in a city. This dog thrives in a city. And, you know, there's a little bit of a, an, an art to it and a little bit of magic that happens as well. And using just, you know, human and dog intuition to, to help make that match. And once you've made the match, how long does this last? The average working life of a guide dog uh, is about seven to nine years. So a person would typically receive a dog at about 20 to 24 months of age, and then they would work um, you know, plus seven to nine years. And then the dogs um, would retire. Some people choose to keep their dogs as a pet. Uh, other people um, might gift the dog to a family member or friend. And of course, we're there to support people every step of the way, literally. Um, so if we need to to um, find the dog a home in retirement, we can do that as well, uh, along with the other suite of follow-up services that we provide. And what does this suite of services consist of? Uh, at Guide Dogs for the Blind, we provide a variety of services uh, after graduation. So once the team has been trained and heads home, it's not just, good luck, see you later, call us in 10 years. Um, we have a telephonic support center staffed by guide dog handlers, guide dog mobility instructors, and veterinary professionals. There's not a question we can't ask on the subject of the guide dog lifestyle. Uh, think of it like calling tech support for, for guide dogs. We can um, troubleshoot things, we can problem solve, um, provide advice and guidance on all kinds of subjects related to the guide dog lifestyle. We also provide in-person follow-up services. So that's where a guide dog mobility instructor would visit a client in their home with their dog. And this is really just to check in, see how things are going, uh, answer any questions or address any challenges that might come up. The conversations usually are pretty organic. It might start off over coffee, you know, yeah, things are going really well. And then as things um, progress, somebody might say, you know, gosh, while you're here, could you take a look at this little route that we do or this challenging street crossing that we're working on? So we really want the process to be constructive. We're not here to, you know, um, observe or make people feel like they're being watched or policed or anything like that. It's really to, to help people feel connected and get the services that they need. And then we also provide uh, veterinary financial assistance to those clients who may um, need assistance with veterinary care. Think of it like um, a no-cost insurance policy for your guide dog to help offset the cost of vet care. What other support services does Guide Dogs for the Blind offer? So Guide Dogs for the Blind provides um, additional services apart from our Guide Dog Training Program. We have youth services, which are designed to engage um, youth in teaching them about the Guide Dog lifestyle, um, social responsibility. Um, we offer something called Camp Guide Dogs for the Blind uh, every summer. It's a lot of fun. This year it's virtual, uh, but it's a great program. Um, teens get a chance to experience being around a guide dog and part of a guide dog school and what that might be like, again, to help them make an informed um, choice about guide dog mobility, but also to help encourage social skills. Another program we offer is our canine buddy program, which matches um, career changed dogs, so guide dogs that didn't make it through the program, with 
um, individuals who are blind or visually impaired uh, as a way to sort of encourage independent skills, uh, build confidence, things like that. Uh, and then we also offer something called the Orientation and Mobility Immersion Program. So Guide Dogs for the Blind requires orientation and mobility training as part of admission to our Guide Dog Program. And so we also provide orientation and mobility support to those folks that may need additional support with mobility training. And really what it's, the program is designed to do is to bridge um, the skills gap between orientation and mobility skills that someone has and what they need to be successful with a guide dog. You actually train people to work better with a cane before you allow them to partner with a dog? That's correct. So cane skills are, are very important and are essential to any type of independent travel. Um, a guide dog's for the blind has great respect for um, the use of the long white cane. But there's also a lot of other travel skills that come along with using that cane that we can support people with. For example, the non-tactile travel skills, so using auditory cues to remain oriented. Something called time distance estimation, so estimating how long it takes you to walk a given distance um, so that you can then tell your dog to turn left or turn right to, to find a, a door, for example. Not everybody has those skills, and so we're here to sort of bridge that skills gap so that the person can choose then to have a guide dog if that's what they would like. Well, that sounds like a great partnership from beginning to end. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a nose-to-tail coverage, and, and like I said, we're there every step of the way. We breed our own stock. We raise our own dogs um, via our puppy raising community. We train the dogs, and then we provide lifetime support. Uh, for the team, all the way from beginning to end. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the services provided by Guide Dogs for the Blind and how to contact them. Jake, if someone were considering getting a guide dog, and getting in touch with your organization, how would they do that? Uh, if you're interested in connecting with Guide Dogs for the Blind, give us a call at 800-295-4050. Or you can visit our website at guidedogs.com. Is there an email address if people would like to write to you? Yes, it's information at guidedogs.com. Do you have a social media presence? Uh, yes. Uh, you can also find Guide Dogs for the Blind in the social media world uh, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as well as our YouTube channel. And as you mentioned, people from across the U.S. and Canada are eligible for your services. And I take it you provide transportation as part of the program for people who aren't living right near you. That's correct. So all of the services at Guide Dogs for the Blind are provided free of charge, and that does include transportation to and from our campus for two weeks of training, room and board while you're here, the dog, two weeks of instruction, equipment, and lifetime follow-up support. And you'll find all of that contact information and the resources listed in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. 
That's it for show number 2124. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the Good Maps Indoor Navigation Aid. GPS technologies and apps are a great asset in helping the blind and visually impaired navigate and become more mobile. Unfortunately, GPS is only effective in navigating outdoors. We'll speak with Mike May about the new Good Maps app and about how it has overcome technical challenges faced by other approaches to indoor navigation in the past. We hope you'll join us next week to learn about those interesting tools. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.